We're looking this morning at James chapter 2, still under the title of Dead or Living Faith. James chapter 2, I'm going to read our target passage this morning, verses 20 through 24 to get us started. Follow as I read. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You know, reading these words have, has sort of moved me out of my comfort zone a little bit. It's made me think about my faith and how alive it really is or isn't. A lot of times we can have living faith. We're Christians, we're believers, but we don't feel alive, right? And so I sort of gave myself a challenge yesterday on Saturday to try to live out my faith a little bit more out loud than usual. I thought, well, this will be interesting. I had promised my kids, my older three, that I would take them fishing. So we successively survived DeLong Lake one more Saturday, and we went there and went fishing. Came up dry, but you know what? I decided not to be using this in too much of a pun, but I decided to fish for men a little bit on our Saturday. Our kids were basically ducking for cover. Um, Anyway, I decided, look, we're going to Walmart. We've got to pick up some fishing poles, and then we're going to go over to Best Buy, and I'm going to make good on Mother's Day. I'm really a a long-term planner on events, and so had to buy something there. And then Um, And then we went to Walgreens to top it all off. And so we started with Walmart. And this is just normal, standard Saturday Anchorage Fair, right? So we're at Walmart. I got in, got the fishing poles, got the stuff, come out to the kids, and and we load up. And I thought, oh, man, I still have not shared Christ, and I kind of committed to do that. And so I'm driving out of the parking lot, and this guy who has a car that is kind of advertising on the side that says dent doctor he stops me and he's like hey come back here you know so we're rolling windows down and and sort of siding up to each other and he says hey you know you've got this dent on the side of your suburban and it really could be backed out and buffed up really nicely and I could make that thing look brand new for you and once I got over the shock of the sales pitch I just I just said man, for free? You could do that for me for free? You know, my kids know, you know, here it comes. So they're, they're, they're all diving for cover and uh, trying to get out of the way. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I, I, I know it wouldn't be for free to do that, but let me share something that I can give for you that is free. And it's, it's asking you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know the Lord? And he said, you know what? Praise the Lord. I do know the Lord. And we were like, all right, that's great. And so I drove off rejoicing that he knew Christ and I had actually followed through and and tried to share Christ with somebody, but I wasn't done. And so, you know, I ended up at Best Buy and I'm I'm there and and I bought the gift and I'm checking out, you know, with the guy, the cashier. And I thought, man, you know, I haven't shared Christ with anybody yet. I don't really have a good segue here. How am I going to do this? My kids are sort of now distancing themselves at Best Buy from me. And I said, look, I I had made myself a commitment. I was going to share Christ and talk about the Lord with somebody Uh, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And this guy is just like, uh, you know, I'm really not interested in talking about Jesus. 
And so I just, you know, let the awkward silence happen, and he's checking, you know, my license and my credit card, and everything was good and legit. And then I just said, I said, listen, I said, do you ever have people talk to you about Christ? He said, yeah, my, my parents do. They talk to me about Christ quite often. I, and I just said, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes I have these conversations, and they, people that, that have believing parents I always wonder if they prayed me into this moment where I'm supposed to be talking to you. And so we kind of finished that awkward deal up, and, and, I, uh, and I walked out. And then we got over to Walgreens, and my kids are really, you know, they like to go in and shop with me, but they're really hesitant at this point. So they're on different aisles, and, and I meet this guy, and I've met this guy before at Walgreens. And incidentally, I love Walgreens. You know, it's just convenient. It's, it's my territory, right? And so I'm meeting these people. And, uh, and so I meet this guy, and I said, you know, hey, I just want to ask you, do you know the Lord? Do you, have you ever heard of Christ? And, and he said this to me. He said, you know, I know a lot about Jesus. I just don't know Jesus. I thought, well, okay, it's on. <laughs> you know, here we go. We're here to find flashlights, but... Um, I'm going to talk to him. So he walks me around the store, and I'm, I'm saying, so where have you heard about the Lord? He says he's Catholic. I said, okay, you know, you've, you've learned a lot about Jesus, but let me tell you that the Bible says this is eternal life, that I may know him. And I said, eternal life can start for you now, where you know Jesus personally. And this is what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And so we got into it, and I talked about Jesus and Nicodemus talking and how Nicodemus was very religious and went by evening or night and how the Holy Spirit opened his heart and he believed. And this guy said, you know, let's sort of keep talking. And, and, and ultimately, I just said to him, look, I'm a pastor. I live right down the street. I love Walgreens. We'll keep talking. You know, this, is, this conversation will continue. But the reason I did that isn't because I think I'm anything special. It's just me trying to live out faith. And this passage is one that can be kind of confusing because James is using language that's like what the Apostle Paul says, where we are justified by faith. But Paul says we're justified by faith apart from works. And James here is saying we're justified by our works. And I don't want to get so wound up with that debate that I miss the point. The point of James is that we are called to live out our faith. We have a faith that's so dynamic that it works, that, that things happen for us in our daily lives. And we have a, a life and a calling that is to live a normal life. Waking up, raising kids, going to bed, feeding, eating, living... But in the midst of what's normal, we're called to do things at times that are radical, where our faith gets worn on our sleeves and we go for it and we say things to people and we mix it up and we're living our normal life and at the same time we're living a life that's extraordinary, that's extraordinary and it's out there. And what happens, and this is the devotional nugget, I'll give it ahead of time. What happens is, is when we live our faith and we have a faith that actually does something, we feel a great sense of confirmation that we are authentic believers, that we're real, that, that our faith pulse is alive and beating and is active. We talked about last week dead faith, the kind of person in the church that sees somebody that's naked, somebody that's um, destitute, somebody that's starving, and a person who names the name of Christ and walks by that person is really 
not alive spiritually. They're dead. And then we talked about demon faith where even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons could quote Deuteronomy 6 and believe God is one. He's, he's the God of Israel and they're emotional about that, but they're really not alive either. And now we're looking at two examples of dynamic faith, real people faith. We've got, a- we've got Abraham, who's the father of faith, the hero of Israel. You've got a church that was, that was born out of Jewish people becoming born again. So they love Abraham. Abraham for them is their George Washington figure. They love him. And then at the same time, the other person in this passage we're going to look at next week is Rahab the prostitute. She is someone in society that would not be esteemed, especially in a Jewish setting like this. And yet James puts the George Washington figure, and the prostitute on equal footing in faith, in the church, as the examples and models of faith. You've got Abraham, who is, you know, he's the founder of Israel. He's why the nation happened, right? He's the one who was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees to to obey God, and then this nation was multiplied. And then you've got Rahab, who was this Gentile pagan prostitute from Jericho who were the enemies of Israel right and she believes and her faith is alive and basically James is shaking it up saying listen you need to be someone as radical as Abraham and as radical as Rahab to vindicate to show that you are the real thing that you're authentic look at the passage he starts with a strong phrase in verse 20 It's where he's moving from a hypothetical example to historical people. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It's kind of a challenge statement, but the word foolish here is the same word used for empty. And he's saying, look, you might be an empty person. You might be the living dead walking around saying you're the real thing, but really you're hollow inside. You're empty. And let me show you that Faith, if it doesn't live out, it's useless. It's not alive. And let me show you in verse 21 with the example of Abraham. Look at Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now again, Abraham, the George Washington figure of Israel, he's putting him out there as the father of faith. He's called father by King Jehoshaphat. He is the father of Israel. He is the one that Paul says that all Christians look to as their father. It is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So just like Abraham was the father figure of Israel, all of the church looks at Abraham's faith and what he did and how he offered his son Isaac on the altar and and how he was willing to do that. We look at him as this example and model of belief. So he brings this man up. And he says he was justified by works. What does that mean? I mean, Paul said that, you know, by the works of the law, no person will be justified. Galatians 2 and Romans 3, justified by faith. We're justified apart from the works of the law. So how is it that James is saying we're justified by works, or Abraham was? Well, James is defining justified differently than Paul. It's as simple as that. Paul says, like a courtroom scene... You were justified. You were declared righteous. You're not guilty. You had a sin debt account that was wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. And then you were given the righteous standing 
of Christ's righteousness so you can enter into heaven. He's like a doctor who's working in terms of obstetrics. And James is like a doctor who's dealing in pediatrics. He's dealing with baby Christians, professing Christians. And so Paul gets you in the door saying it's by grace through faith alone. And James examines you to see if your faith profession is real and alive and living. And so he's using Abraham's example because Abraham's example of offering his son, that happened in Genesis 22. That was the confirmation moment. We're going to look at that in a minute. But preceding that is Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, where Abraham said, look, I mean, where God said of Abraham, you believed God and it was counted to you as righteousness. That's where you get in the door. And then Genesis 22 is where there's vindication, where there's confirmation. Do you ever want that in your life? Do you ever struggle with the assurance of salvation? I mean, really, do you ever think, you know, I I profess to be a believer. I know back 10 years ago when when I professed to know Christ and when things kind of turned around, but I just, you know, whether I'm sinning or whether I'm just not doing anything at all. Sometimes it's worse to just be stagnant. I'm just so stagnant. I don't know if I'm alive or I want to be alive. I remember how excited I was when I first became a Christian, but where am I now? This is the kind of passage that can shake us awake because that affirmation on Mount Moriah by God is the same kind of spiritual confirmation we all look for and need. This is, this is kind of like a passage that's, that's representing the beginning of your faith and then the confirmation. Look at verse 22. James says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And then verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled and says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know... James is sort of backing into Abraham's salvation experience. He's starting with the fruit of of Abraham's faith, and he's backing historically back to when he was counted righteous. It's like a 40-year gap in three verses, and it's a retrospection, retrospective look of Abraham. He's confirmed on Mount Moriah. He's ready to plunge the knife into his son. God stays his hand, and he says, Now I know that you are the real thing. I know that you genuinely believed. But 40 years earlier, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so you could almost read these verses in reverse, beginning with verse 23. He was counted as righteous. That was the faith where he was saved. And then you go up the ladder, verse 21. His works are vindicating. They're demonstrating that he's the real thing. And then verse 20, faith without works is useless. He's justified by faith alone. Let's put it in a common vernacular. How many of you men would admit that you like the NFL this morning? I mean, come on, come on, let's go, come on. I know a lot of you like college and you say, you know, I don't like NFL, but we all kind of like NFL deep in our heart, I know. And uh, most of you know you men and some of you women. I mean, you've got your fantasy league, I know, but you wouldn't admit it. But all that to say, all that to say, most of you know there was an NFL draft that just happened and that's where coaches and owners really kind of compete and duke it out in terms of who they're going to get. And they're wheeling and dealing. And it really sets the course for their team. Well, I think it's a good example of what I'm trying to explain here. 
And that is that once you become a drafted player, you are in the NFL. You get the phone call, you get the jersey, you get the cap, you get the photo, right? You're walked on stage, you get the contract, it's signed and sealed. You are an NFL player. But from our perspective, when we're watching TV and looking at who's actually on the field, those are the real NFL players, right? You're really an NFL player by contract, and you're in. You are, but some of these rookies actually get to play in the first season that they're a part of the team and so they're on the field they're throwing the ball they're catching they're hitting they're doing their thing and we go man they are the real thing we knew that they were an NFL player an NFL player by name but they're active and they're doing things that's really proving that they were the real deal that's what James is saying here he's saying Abraham was a believer he, was, he believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, he was on the inside, and then he was tested and challenged. And when he was challenged, he met the challenge and proved out what was going on on the inside of his heart. Let me just remind you, Paul is right in keeping with this teaching here. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's, it's by faith alone. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. What's the next verse? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus that we would walk in good works that were prepared beforehand that we walk in. What is that? Well, those are the works. Those are the actions that we do because we were saved by grace through faith alone. We're saved by faith, by, by grace through faith alone, and it creates action. It's kind of like if I had a hammer and this was a glass table and the hammer represented grace through faith, salvation, and then I were to smash the table, what would happen? Glass would break. Glass would shatter and go everywhere. The glass is kind of like the good works spraying out all over the place. Was the hammer real? Was the swing real? Yeah, because you see the glass breaking all over the place. One time when I was a kid, I was chasing another kid. He's trying to get away from me. He swung the door to, to kind of hold me back, and there was a glass pane there, and I went through the glass pane like this, and the glass shattered. The door was real, right? And he swung it, and that was real action, but the glass was going to shatter. There is a cause and effect. In other words, if you have faith, then there's going to be some action that comes out of your life. Now, I'm not talking about law-keeping obedience. I'm talking about dynamic things will happen in your life. When tragedy strikes, you'll pray. When you see someone that has a need, you'll feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to meet it. You'll connect with people. You'll gravitate towards people who are believers. You'll rejoice. You'll, you'll, you'll enter into somebody else's suffering, right? You, you give and you do things that are extraordinary. They're not just normal things. They're above and beyond the call of duty. What I want to do now is I want to look at Abraham's life up close with a little bit more detail. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. He's the model here that James is giving. And I just want to point out to you that Abraham was 75 years old when God was speaking to him and calling him to make a great nation, to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go over to the promised land. Verse 4, Abraham went... 
as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now at this point, they were without children, and God is making a promise to them that they're going to have children. This is a big moment for Abram at that point and Sarah to believe God. We know in the story that Sarah laughed and chuckled out loud that, look, there's no way I'm going to have a child. I mean, that, that would be ludicrous. She's laughing out loud about that because they're older. Abraham's 75, she's 65. Life expectancy is 120 years at that point. And so it would be like if you were a 40-year-old woman and you'd never had your first kid. And it would kind of be like, wow, I'm supposed to believe that this is actually supposed to happen. That's what Sarah was going through. And then 10 years pass, 10 years later, and you turn over to Genesis 15, and you've got God affirming to Abram that he's the shield and he's the defender. Look at verse 1. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And he's talking about how God is going to make a great nation through him. And then in verse 2, Abram retorts or kind of responds and says, yeah, but there's nothing that's happened yet. I don't have a kid yet. Look, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, I don't know who Eliezer of Damascus was, but I think Abram's sort of saying, look at Eliezer. I mean, it's going to go through him. I don't have my own child. It's got to be him. So what God does is he reminds him of the promise that he had made to Abram by taking him outside into the field. Now in that area, in Israel, looking out at the stars, you would see numerous, numerous stars. You'd see all kinds of stars. You know, I'm sure we can get into remote places around Alaska and see a lot of stars. I remember being in New Zealand on a missions trip years and years ago and looking up at the sky and splashed across the sky were constellations that were different than I was used to being from the northern hemisphere. And so all of a sudden they're saying, hey, look at, you know, that's the reverse triangle something. I'm going, where am I, you know? But stars are everywhere. The galaxy is massive. And so God shows Abram the stars. Look at verse 5. He brought him outside, look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Look at verse 6. This is what Paul quotes in Romans and James quotes in James 2. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. Now that was 10 years later. So Abram at that point is 85 and Sarah is 75. Now add 14 more years. Abram's pushing 100 And at 100 years old, and Sarah at 90, lo and behold, here comes Isaac. So they have a child. A miraculous birth that was promised all along by God. Now, push it a few more years later, and you get to Genesis 22. And that's where God gives the ultimate challenge and says, Look, now you've got your teenage son, probably. He's teenage years, teenage, uh, you know, years, and, and Abram is probably 105, 110. What I want you to do is I want you to take your son and I want you to offer him on Mount Moriah. Verse 1 of chapter 22, it's a test for Abraham. Look at verse 2. It says, take your son, your only son Isaac. I mean, this is a real heart-tugging call. 
the one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I tell you. So he just immediately does this, gets the wood, gets the donkey, gets two servants to help out. They take a three-day journey. Verse 5, though, gives us a picture of Abraham's faith. That's what's on display. Yes, this is a radical sort of off-the-grid request, right? Thou shalt not kill. Have we ever heard of that? I mean, this is a radical request. But these are the kinds of works that God calls us to do sometimes, right? Where, in one sense, offering sacrifices was very normal back in the time. Very normal. But in another sense, this is ratcheting up something that was normal for Abraham to do and making it an exercise in faith. Ever been there? When I was thinking about sacrificing things, and I've never sacrificed anything. Um, I've never gutted an animal before. But it's not that I don't want to. And look, if you guys want to take me bear hunting, if you want to, you know, bring me through that rite of passage and have me gut a moose, I'll do it. I'm, I'm into it. But I, I'm just telling you, it's not normal for me. But for Abraham, for some of you guys, gutting animals, slaughtering an animal on an altar, for him, was normal. This is just normal, standard fare. And he's walking in that normalcy. He's, he's walking as a follower of God. But God is turning the heat up and ratcheting things up and saying, look, I want you to offer your son. Now, verse 5 gives us a window into Abraham's faith all at the same time. Look at this. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham believed that he was going to go up there and whatever was going to happen... He and his son were going to return. How do we put that together? I think Abraham's faith was just that supercharged. Where he knew God was going to somehow work out the details of this event. God would provide. Remember, Isaac is saying, look, you know, where's the offering? Where's the ram? I, I'm confused here about how this thing is going to work out. And then all of a sudden, he's being bound on the altar. Ancient Jewish uh, culture calls this the binding. And so he was, he was bound on the altar. And Abraham is raising his axe above his son's head, ready to lower the knife, verse 10 says. And verse 11 is where the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here, I, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. I don't know if I could do it. I mean, that's some radical obedience. I'm glad God is not calling me to do that. But he is calling me to do things radical, nevertheless, right? He is calling us to get outside of our comfort zone and go above and beyond the call of duty because he wants you as a believer to have this kind of confirmation on your faith, this kind of vindication. That's the the essence of spiritual life. That's the personal revival that happens when a believer steps outside of their comfort zone and you're willing to take somebody on the journey with you up Mount Moriah or up the skull of Golgotha and talk about a son that was slaughtered on your behalf, Jesus Christ. That's a radical story. 
Now, it's a normal story in our culture. People have heard it. And as Matthew 28, 18 to 20 talks us, ta- tells us to go and make disciples in our normal highways and byways, going to Walmart, going to Best Buy, going to neighborhood meetings, going by the ball field, in our normal sort of circumstances of life, we're supposed to be worshipers of God and be willing to, to go up the mountain with people and say, let me introduce you to my Lord, Jesus Christ, who died. It's God's son who was slaughtered on the altar on your, for your sin's sake and for mine. And he died and he rose again on the third day. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's radical obedience, but it's necessary. It, it's what Jesus called his disciples to do. It was normal in the culture of Jesus that if you went against Rome, you would be crucified. There were crosses down the street, and Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to follow after me, we're going to be bucking the system and going against Rome because Jesus is saying, I am God, and you're bowing down to me, so you can't worship the Caesar. And by the way, if you deny yourself in that way, you're probably going to take up a cross and die right down the street. It was normal as part of that culture that if you were going counterculture, you're putting your life on the line. And you know what? A lot of people who are missionaries in Islamic regions and nations and countries, they're putting their life on the line for Christ. And they're willing to go for it. I remember a gal who is a graduate from the master's college who was rescued out of a family situation in northern Africa, who was part of an Islamic family, and she got up at church and she said, yeah, you know, my uncle, he broke my arm because I wouldn't back down from my faith in Christ. There's a normal Christian life that we live in our circumstances, and then there's radical obedience that pushes it over the top. And when you do that, you receive a flood of affirmation that you go, you know what, I know I'm the real thing. I'm not perfect, I haven't felt alive in a long time, but God wants you to feel alive spiritually. It starts with faith, believing in him alone for salvation, and then, it's, then it continues with radical obedience. That's what he wants. Let me tell you a story. When I was in college, I'd become a Christian at 17 and sort of rushed into a Christian environment at Christian college. By the time I was 20 or 21, I was really struggling with my own faith. I was studying for ministry, I was making grades, but I was trying to make good decisions and, and, and live the Christian life, and I was trying to wrestle with what's real and what's sort of just been something I've been raised in, something I'm a part of in my Christian college environment. And I remember kind of coming to a crisis moment where I went to the chapel and went into the back room, and I kind of just said, Lord, give me something from Scripture that I can hang on to. And I turn to 1 John. Turn to 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. It's kind of like John 3.16. This is a gospel verse. It says, By this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Look at verse 17. But if any, This sounds a lot like James 2. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? A lot like James. But look at verse 18. This is what the Lord and the Holy Spirit just zeroed in on for me to see. And this is what struck my heart. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't just make your faith something you talk about. 
Don't just make it words. But let your words of faith become active. Where you're touching lives. Where you're putting yourself out there. And what happens when you do that? Look at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. And whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I left the chapel. That was the word I needed. It's never left me. I mean, I, I was thinking, what would be a good cross-reference? Where would be a good place to go? That was, that was sort of Jeff Crott's, you know, earthquake moment. I'm going to put this in your life and sort of seal the deal that when you want personal revival, it's got tra- to transfer from just word knowledge, things that you know, to life action. And that's where God is greater than your heart. Your own heart where it's condemning you is superseded by God's presence in your life and affirmation. That's what James 2 is also talking about. Look at James 2 again. Abraham's story, now that we've filled it in with Genesis, with the Genesis account, look at it again. He was justified by works. That was the affirmation or the vindication that he was the real thing. He offered up his son. Verse 22, there's a play on words here. You see that faith was active. That's actually the word working. So faith was working along with his works. It's kind of a play on words just to say the faith, was, the faith engine was alive. Why? Because we saw the, the you know, spontaneous combustion coming out in works. Faith and works. And faith was completed by his works. That's when the confirmation came where God is saying, now I know that you have believed. Now, did God already know that Abraham was a believer? Absolutely. He knows all things. He's omniscient. But he wanted the world to know. He wanted Abraham to know that he knows. And he wanted Abraham to know that he's a believer. That's what was happening. And James takes it further. He says... Verse 23, scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. But look at this. And he was called a friend of God. I just want to camp there just for a second. Abraham's faith was real because there were actions and there was relationship. Abraham had a relationship with the Lord. When I was talking to those people at the different places yesterday, that's really what I was asking them. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's really what it all boils down to. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. And Abraham knew God when Abraham was ready to destroy Sodom. He got into a conversation with him about that. Remember? What if there's 50? What if there's 45 that are righteous? You know, will will you not destroy it? And it kind of whittled down. And ultimately, Lot and his family was rescued, but... That was all in the context of a relationship. And the Genesis account actually argues for the fact that God, he was compelled to enter Abraham into the conversation about what he was going to do to Sodom. There was a relationship there. John 15 says the same thing. It's where Jesus is saying, look, the Lord no longer calls his followers servants only or slaves only because now they are called friends because they understand and know his plan. That's our life. That's what it is as a Christian. We are a friend of God. King Jehoshaphat, he said in a prayer that God was a friend of Abraham. Isaiah 41, same 
thing. It's the same relationship that we have as well. A relationship with the Lord. Look down at our last verse here, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's the point. It's the same point he makes in verse 26, verse 20, and verse 17. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. But a living dynamic faith will work. It will be active. If you want that kind of confirmation in your life, you've got to put yourself out there. Let's look at a few applications. Just a way to bring this home. Number one, your assurance in Christ comes from believing the truth and living the truth. I was thinking about the Apostle Peter. We've talked about this a lot around the celebration of Easter a couple weeks ago, but I just want to bring it up again. Peter was one who followed Christ. He dropped his nets and he had heard the words of Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But when sort of the rubber meeting the road time happened, what did Peter do? Jesus was going to the cross. That was the call to follow him to die on the cross. And Peter denied him three times. I don't know him. I don't know. I'm not associated with Jesus. And then Jesus died, rose again and met Peter on the beach. And they had this sort of conversation where Jesus knew what Peter was struggling with. He knew that his heart was in such disrepair that he thought, I don't even know if I'm a believer. I don't even know if I'm the real thing. And Jesus said three times to him, Peter, do you love me? And there's some wording there in terms of, you know, do you love me? And Peter's saying, well, you know, I really, really like you. And Jesus says, do you love me? He says, you know, I I really, really do. And then thirdly, he said, do you love me? And Peter, almost in exasperation, says, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. So when you're at your lowest, maybe it's time for you to re-grasp the gospel you're a son or daughter of God. And maybe you're sinning or messing up, or maybe you're just kind of stagnant right now, but you need to sort of re-up and have a conversation with the Lord where you say, Lord, you know my heart. You're greater than all of my doubts. You're bigger than all that. And then you need to hear the call from God, feed my lambs. Go out there and do something with your faith. Have a faith that works. And guess what happened? Peter went out and he preached the word of God. And he was the mega leader for the greatest explosive growth of the early church that's documented in Acts. The greatest revival that was multiplying all over the world of all times that we're still experiencing today. What's the Lord going to do with you? It it begins with believing truth and then getting out there and doing something about it. Living it. Look at point two. Live out the truth. How? Well, worship. Worship in radical ways. Go beyond your normal worship. Pray out loud. Wear your faith on your sleeve. Connect with other people. Number two, connect. Have Christian relationships. Get out into a Sunday school class. Have a Bible study. Connect with people about the Lord. Number three, pray. Number four, meditate. Meditate. Don't just read the word out of obligation 
chew on something. Have that First John 3.16 moment where you go in the, the chapel and have the Lord speak to you in his word. Mortify sin. Kill something in your life. Bury the hatchet with somebody in a relationship. Go beyond the norm. It's normal to have relationships. It's normal to have breakdowns. It's normal to have reconciliation. Take it to a gospel level. Sacrifice. Give beyond your normal means. Give. Give in ways that it hurts. Give in ways that you haven't thought about giving before. And lastly, evangelize. Thus my yesterday where I'm out there sharing my faith. But I want to live this way. Why not live like you're on a short-term missions trip all the time? You ever been on one of those where you go, man, I am so happy doing the Lord's work this week. You know, and you go back home and you watch TV instead, right? But we should just be living the Christian life. Evangelize. Let me, let me hit you up with one last one. Now I'm really moving from preaching to meddling. Have you been baptized? This is point three. Believer's baptism is one of the chief signs of saving faith. Next week, uh, a brother in our church is going to be baptized. I think he was baptized before, but he knows that he came to faith in Christ later on. So he's going to be baptized. And one of the key components to the Great Commission is go and share, make disciples, and have people be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what baptism is? It just struck me as I was looking at James 2. That's that early confirmation. Now, you're saved by grace through faith alone. Baptism does not save you, but baptism is so linked to a person's conversion because you're like the Ethiopian eunuch that's saying, look, there's water here. Why don't I get baptized? You know, dunk me. I don't care. And it's that kind of spirit where you're willing to be getting through the embarrassment of sharing your faith in front of people. You say, I'm not a... I'm not an extrovert, you know, Jeff, you can do that, you know, but I can't. No, the great, the great Commission is for all of us. And how much more of a miracle is it, a radical form of obedience is it, for the introvert to get up and share their faith in Christ? Or the introvert to go and talk to somebody about the Lord? That gives God all the more glory when a person gets outside of their introverted personality. So if you need to be baptized, we'll have the baptistry up here next week. I'll extend the morning. I don't care if a bunch of you want to be baptized. Let's do it. But um, if, if, if you need to follow the Lord in that way, that would be a great expression of faith in your life. And the Lord confirms it and seals it through that process in our own hearts. He does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. I thank you, God, that we can gather as your people and hear about Abraham's faith and his faith, though it was expressed thousands of years ago, is so real to us because we're living the same life that he lived. Lord, it struck me last hour how you care about us as much as you care about Abraham or Rahab. Those are sort of superstars um, documented in the scriptures, men and women of faith, but they were just people just like us. And I pray, God, that we would just bask in your glory, that we would look into the face of Jesus Christ and say, thank you for loving me. And Lord, that we would do anything, even in southeast Anchorage, anything to put your glory on display, to step outside of our comfort zone, that we would be willing to be humiliated for Christ because we're so in love with you. I pray that you would energize us 
in the gospel and embolden us with this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I want to um, ask uh, Tim Peters, why don't you come up and close us off this morning? Um, he's an elder in our church, and uh, just close us off. I'll be down front. If you don't yet know the Lord, if you need prayer for any reason at all this morning, I'll be available to you. We have elders, we have counselors, female counselors, people that can talk to you. We want to meet your needs this morning. We also have a table over there. It's an information table. It'll be um, manned by people over there to give you information about our church to better connect you. Have a wonderful day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you uh, so much for the message this morning. I thank you that you're looking for faith that is real. You're looking for people who are called out people who are not afraid to act because they believe you with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their strength. And I pray that as we leave this place, we would not easily forget these words that you brought this morning. And God, that each of us would be willing to go out on the skinny limbs for you, to stretch our faith, to go beyond, to take the next step that you're calling us to. Thank you for meeting here with us. Thank you for the power and work of your Holy Spirit and your word. And I pray you dismiss us each now with your spirit of peace, love, and joy, that it would go with us, and that all around us would know that we have met with you in your house, with your people this day. In Jesus' name, amen.